You remind me of the babe. What babe? The babe with the power. What power? The power of voodoo. Who do? You do. Do what? You remind me of the babe. My baby. Crying hard as babe could cry. What could I do? My baby's love had gone and left my baby blue. Nobody knew. Nobody knew lots of things no, about David Bowie. I, Bowie is everything about the subject that we're about to discuss. <laughs> I'm so He's ready. Literally everything about it. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where it's just not fair! I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are covering the 1986 Jim Henson fantasy adventure film, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. How I love it. I just want Labyrinth to be a rock opera. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, those rock operas from the late 80s that got so popular? <laughs> This film was selected by our beloved listener, Allie. Yes. Who is the winner of our December contest. You won the contest. Good for you. And she chose Labyrinth. Yeah, you chose Labyrinth, Allie. <laughs> but that's okay. You sound a little sour. I just, I haven't seen this film since I was a kid. Uh-huh. And now I remember why I don't watch it. Because <laughs> there are some big fuck no's. <laughs> big old nopey nopes in this film. And that's Okay. Listen to me. It could have been worse. We could be doing Christian Mingle the movie. You're right, because that was going to be Mike's dastardly suggestion. <laughs> Mike Noel, sir. <laughs> don't you test me. <laughs> that was unkind. With Lacey Chabert? <laughs> you mean Meg season one, Family Guy? Yeah. Or Eliza Thornberry. Or Gretchen Wieners. Gretchen Wieners, yes. Yes, but we're getting off topic. I don't think my dad, the inventor of Toaster Strudel, <laughs> would be too pleased to hear about this. So the December contest is over, but you can still go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. But we're putting all of our new ideas in motion for 2020, so there's never been a better time to tell us what you think of the show. Absolutely. You've got six months to listen to, so why don't you go ahead? <laughs> And get through that. Uh, but, you know, as we bring in the new year, you know, like, tell us some of our episodes that you like. I mean, I want to know what the fan favorites are. So don't forget, you can go follow the show on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-S. No. <laughs> Hold on. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. Very good. Yeah. Double high five. We're in a tent. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, that's right. We have a makeshift little recording studio that Carrie Ann has prepared for us in the basement of the new house. I threw up a you couple. You threw up? No. <laughs> I, <laughs> I threw up a couple of boxes and a bookcase behind me that's currently not being used because all the books are in the boxes that are behind you. And then <laughs> I just threw a couple of quilts over it. And yeah, that's where we are now. This is very nostalgic. I mean, I, I, I remember when you used to take the dining room chairs and Put bankies over it. It's like a blanket fort. Yeah. Yeah. Are we Sophie and Olivia from the holiday? We are. 
It does not look nearly as good in here as it does in Sophie and Olivia's tent. Our ambient light is a, a camping light. Yeah, it's an offensive white light. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Would you like to talk about the wacky collaboration that we have going on here? Yes, please. TriStar Pictures announces the collaboration of three extraordinary talents. Jim Henson, creator of The Muppets and Dark Crystal. Oh! Where you go with a head like that? Hmm? George Lucas, creator of the Star Wars saga. One of the most innovative forces in modern entertainment, David Bowie. <laughs> Together, they will take you into a dazzling world of fantasy and adventure. There's nothing to be afraid of. A world where anything seems possible, and nothing is what it seems. The world of Labyrinth. Guess what? We're doing another Jim Henson project. Yes. So we got Jim Henson, who is collaborating with, you guessed it, Brian Froud, the concept artist from Jim Henson and Brian Froud's The Dark Crystal. That's right. Which is superior to Labyrinth in every way. Oh, well, you know, it's a little, that's a little hard to argue with. Yeah, there it, is no argument. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing I can do there's about it. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And, but guess what? We have a, you know, a little number three tacked on here this time. Who could it be? Who is it? Who is it? <laughs> it's George fucking Lucas. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> the original script for this movie was written by one of the Monty Python members. Of course it fucking was. Terry Jones. Jim Henson made a bunch of revisions to his draft. And then by the time he was done with it, he brought it back to Terry and he's like, uh, it's not funny anymore. Can you put the jokes back in? <laughs> oh, dear. You know who scores the film? I feel like I should, but I don't. Good old Trevor Jones what who it? scored The Dark Crystal. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, that makes sense. Absolutely. Bowie composed a lot of original songs for the movie as well. Oh, yeah. He did all the song and dance numbers. Speaking of David Bowie, one of the only humans in this movie... David Bowie as Jareth, the Goblin King. Mm. It's an iconic character. Uh, uh, our original non-binary queen. Exactly! <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Bowie is everything about this movie. By the way, let's just... Disclaimer. David Bowie was 39. Jennifer Connelly is 16. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a lot of feelings about that, but I'm we're going to come back to it. Yes. Speaking of Jennifer Connelly, she is playing the other human in this movie, Sarah. Okay, this is the only thing I know Jennifer Connelly from. I'm pretty sure she was in one of the Sinister movies. She has an Oscar. <laughs> it, it was either Sinister or Insidious. I, I, I interchangeably mix them up. Baby Toby Froud. 
Oh yeah, Brian Froud's little boy is the baby. They had to change his name because he wouldn't respond to anything other than Toby. Are you serious? No, yeah, his name was gonna be Freddy. <laughs> but he wouldn't respond to Freddy, so they had to change his name to Toby. And, and, and... He's also, as as a grown adult, not as a baby, but he's the design supervisor for Age of Resistance. Oh! Yeah! I like that the Frouds and the Hensons have a continued collaboration, even on to the next generation. Alright, you want to <laughs> delve into the plot of this movie? Sure! <laughs> I know it's going to re-traumatize you, but... Sounds like a sports film when it opens up. I it really does. In my opinion, it? with all the synth, yeah, and the drums, and I feel like the words Denzel Washington are going to come across the screen. But no, <laughs> can we talk about the CGI owl? The owl is so bad, but blame that on 1986, okay? It was the first attempt to make a photorealistic CGI animal in a feature film. You're kidding? No. Okay. Good for Labyrinth. It, it looks like a screensaver, but, you know, A for effort. Absolutely. We open on Jennifer Connelly, play acting in a park that I could only imagine is located in the Northeast. I just want to say, great acting, Jennifer, through the whole thing. <laughs> Your sarcasm. I'm sorry, but anyway, going on. <laughs> she has a big barking floof named Merlin. Merlin! I love Merlin. He's a big sheepdog. The barking dog. She's reciting lines from memory from this book she's absolutely obsessed with called Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. I don't think they make that clear enough in the beginning. Yeah, it, yeah. She does open a book called Labyrinth, and I'm like... Huh? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, it never really gets mentioned again. Well, it it does at the end when it's on the vanity. And that's when I noticed it. I was like, wait a minute. This isn't all stuff just from her imagination. This is from a book she loves. I wrote down, is this the never-ending story? <laughs> For my will is as strong as yours. And my kingdom is as great. For my will is as strong as yours. My kingdom is great. Damn. Oh, I can never remember that line. She's very into it, the whole play acting thing. She's wearing the, the dress and she's got a little garland on her head, I think. And she's reciting lines from the confrontation scene in the book. I just can't stop laughing through this whole play acting thing because, Ross, you used to do stuff like this all the time. Oh, I know. Me and my, my robe and my wand and hitting trees and <laughs> with my wand and... I'm 12 years old, just trying to have a normal life. Stop. And <laughs> the school bus would pull up to our front yard to let me off. And you'd be out in the front yard in your Gryffindor robe with a stick trying to cast spells on the neighbor's cats. <laughs> is that your brother? No, no, never seen him before in my life. I don't know who that is. <laughs> but uh-oh, the clock tower is chiming. She's late to babysit. I wrote down and went, she's worried about being in by seven? <laughs> I was like, oh no. She is 14 years old. She's 16. Stop, in the movie she's 14. How do you, it, no, in the movie she is 16. She's 16? Mm-hmm. In the movie? She is. Well, then I have even more things to say about how immature the she is. The synopsis says she's 16. All right. 
So she really has outgrown all of this nonsense, don't you think? Yeah, no, I, I have more to say on that issue when she starts pouting in her room. Ugh. But anyway, so she 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 hoggles home. <laughs> <laughs> I hate myself. Okay. It's raining. She's running for her life. But I love the music. Oh, underground, right? Yes. Isn't that what's playing? I think so. Life can't be easy. It's not always well. Don't tell me truth hurts, little girl. Cause it hurts like hell. Hurts like hell. Literally the first instance of it in which she's running up to the house, it starts to rain and she goes, oh, it's just not fair. (laughs) Did you write down every time she said that? I tried to. I (laughs) doubt I got every single time. I didn't realize that the mother is her stepmother and not her actual mother. I didn't either until watching it this time. Yeah. And so now I understand more about the frustration behind the character Mm -hmm. because this does end up being her half brother, but we'll get to that. She was supposed to babysit her baby brother, Toby, while her father and her stepmother went out for the evening. So Sarah storms up to her room and we get a glimpse at her little world of her bedroom, right? All of the fantasy toys, the plushies, the figurines, all of the books she has. I bet she gets hella bullied in school. I I bet she does too. Hi, I'm a sophomore and I still like... I still like fairy tales and all of this... But everything about her says that she wouldn't be, you know what I mean? I know. she seems Just how she holds herself. I feel like this is a very secret thing that she keeps to herself. Like, maybe she doesn't let friends come over to (laughs) see her room. I know I wouldn't. (laughs) Because if you've seen the movie before and you look around her room, you see lots of things that come back later. Uh Uh-huh. You know one thing that doesn't come back later that's on her wall? What? A cat's poster. A Broadway cat's poster. Angelicals do. Angelicals can angelicals do. Another thing that they don't make clear, as we're panning across her room, on her desk, there's this scrapbook that's full of playbills and photos. Uh-huh. I wrote, she has a wide range of obsessions. She does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, another thing that wasn't made clear in the movie that's made clear by Brian Froud's novelization of the movie, uh-huh. the woman in the pictures is her mother. Aww. She was a famous stage actress. And the man in the photos is David Bowie. Oh, shit. Yeah. The subplot that we never get is that her mother ran away with this famous actor who is obviously David Bowie in the pictures. Oh, shit, Sheila. Uh Uh-huh. It just brings a whole new context to everything that's about to happen. Yeah, because the absence of the mother is never explained. Yeah. Like her... her... I assume she was dead. Yeah, I just assume she died. It also explains her affinity for play acting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So she's already in a teenage tizzy, and she gets even worse when she realizes that her stuffed bear Lancelot is missing. Lancelot! Someone has been in my room again! I hate that! I hate it! I hate you! I hate you! Someone save me! Someone take me away from this awful 
awful place. She's such a spoiled brat. But also at the same time, I do, I, I do sympathize with her because those parents really do not give one fuck. Because the dad comes up and he's like, it's like he's going to check on her. Uh-huh. But then he's like, I put the baby to bed and fed him. Good night. <laughs> Talking to her through the door. Bye-bye. And she goes, oh, I guess you really wanted to talk to me, huh? No, she's experiencing a lot of the problems that teenagers go through when they're in a newly blended family and there's a new baby that gets all the attention Mm -hmm. and she's really just retreating into her own little fantasy world in a way and blaming everything on the infant yeah Uh, can we talk about that for five seconds she is taking everything out on the infant so one night when the baby had been particularly cruel to her she called on the goblins for help listen Say your right words, the goblin said. And we'll take the baby to the goblin city. What starts to happen is, with the story, we're cutting back and forth. Oh, your eyes are so wide okay. right now. I'm sorry. The first thing I have to say about it is these goblins can fuck off. The goblins can fuck off? They're too good looking. I know! You know what I mean? The, 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 the puppeteering is very, very next level mm-hmm. in this film. Mm-hmm. And bravo. And they're funny. They are The goblins are truly the comic relief in this, I think, even though they're the main antagonists. Exactly. Because we're cutting back and forth between Sarah telling this fake story and the goblins are like roused by her telling this story. It's like Beetlejuice trying to get you to say his name three times. Exactly. Because they're trying to get her to say the right sequence of words so that they can come and steal that baby. And I love how there's that one goblin who's like, did she say it yet? Yeah. And they keep going, shh. And there's that one guy, she keeps saying it wrong. He's like, it doesn't even start with I wish. (laughs) Goblin King, Goblin King, wherever you may be, take this child of mine far away from me. Oh, that's not it. Excellent, that rubbish. It doesn't even start with I wish. I said every goblin's a critic. Every goblin's (laughs) a critic? I was like, and they're impatient. Damn. (laughs) What is the actual phrase? I do wish the Goblin King would come and take you away. Right now. Why that? (laughs) Why is it that way? Because she's fed up. But you know what? I will give the goblins one thing. That is consent. It is. (laughs) You know what? You're absolutely right. That is 100% consent. And I love how she takes two steps out of the bedroom. Of the bedroom and the baby just stops crying and she's like, what? (laughs) And she turns right back around and the light won't turn on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What did I write? And we have terror. (laughs) There's a thunderstorm going on outside Mm -hmm. and there's lightning and noise and it's dark, and all of a sudden you just start seeing goblins, like, in the background. It's pretty nopey. I don't need those things bumping around in the dark. And then the owl comes to the window and is busting around at the window. Well, you know who the owl is. Yeah, it's Jareth. Exactly. The Goblin King. Those French doors fly open, and in breezes David Bowie. You're him, aren't you? You're the Goblin King. My brother back, please, if it's all the same. What's said is said. But I didn't mean it. Oh, you didn't. I wrote, Bowie makes me weak. I know. (laughs) Like, there's just, I think the first thing you notice about Bowie is always his eyes. 
always. Always his eyes. And you know why they're like that? Why? One of his eyes is blue, like a bright steely blue. Mm -hmm. And the other is permanently dilated. And it's more of a brownish green color. Mm -hmm. I believe that's from being hit in the head with a baseball bat when he was young. Oh, so that's real. Oh, it's real. His eyes are really like that. His eyes have always been like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's got this drag queen makeup on, Mm -hmm. complete with exaggerated eyebrows. Like he... The the wig. Yeah. That looks like it's from... Cher. It's so funny. I was going to say White Snake. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's very Cher to me. It's a very iconic look. You go to any nerd con across the country, you're going to see at least one person dressed as Jareth. This was the beginning of Sarah realizing that her actions have consequences. <laughs> that's something every teenager has to come to terms with. I agree. That, that's why I think, I believe, I, I was, I don't know if I said this at the top or not, but I'm going to say it now so it informs the rest of this recording. Mm-hmm. I believe that Jareth, the Goblin King, is a manifestation of her childhood clinging to existence because that's one of the first things you learn as you mature into adulthood is that your actions have consequences Mm -hmm. and we can't always be impulsive and get every single thing we want because it might have repercussions later like your baby brother being stolen by a goblin king absolutely oh oh we have to talk about the crystal juggling oh yeah i forgot yeah i've brought you a gift what is it it's a crystal Nothing more. But if you turn it this way, look into it. It'll show you your dreams. It's really just a glass sphere. It's like a spy tool. He can see her from everywhere. I do remember you telling me when I was little, because I was like, oh my God, how did he learn to do that? And you were like, that's actually not him. It's not. That is someone crouched under him doing that. And I was like, oh, that's very skillful. It's film work. Exactly. It's the choreographer, Michael Motion? Motion? I'm not sure how to That'd pronounce it. That'd be funny it. if his name was Michael Motion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, normally when they film Henson Productions, people who are puppeteering things, they have a monitor in order to uh, see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. He has no monitor. He's doing all of that handwork completely blind. Wow. I know. Wow. The transition from Sarah's house to Goblin Land or wherever it is they go, so easy. It's too easy. He points out the window and she walks on the balcony and whoop, her house is gone. (laughs) She has no questions. You don't have to tap the third brick on the right. You don't have to answer a riddle. You're just in. (laughs) The tornado doesn't carry you anywhere. (laughs) Like. Is that the castle beyond the Goblin City? It doesn't look that far. It's further than you think. Time is short. You have 13 hours in which to solve the labyrinth before your baby brother becomes one of us forever. They said it. They said it. There's he because when he tells her she has 13 hours, he points behind him to a clock on a tree. Mm hmm. And that is a great reference to, you know what I'm talking about? I guess not. The melting clock. Like the Salvador Dali painting? Is that who it is? You're right. It's called The Persistence of Memory. Yeah, I feel like a lot of settings that are within the labyrinth, I feel like a lot of it, a lot of it reminds me of Salvador Dali paintings I've seen. We'll also get to M.C. Escher later. Oh, but... yeah, we will. <laughs> anyway. So Sarah's just kind of like, well, 
Guess I better get started. <laughs> you want to tell us about the first creature that Sarah meets? So guess what? The first thing she meets outside the labyrinth is a goblin taking a piss in a pool. <laughs> His name is Hoggle. I don't know what Hoggle does. <laughs> I don't know what Hoggle's prime directive is in life, but... Killing fairies, apparently. Oh, yeah, that's right. He is gassing the fairies. Because <laughs> there's little fairies flying around and they look cute, but they bite. <laughs> what did you expect fairies to do? I thought they did nice things, like... Like granting wishes. Huh? Shows what you know, don't it? This <laughs> Horrible. Huh? No, I ain't. I'm Hoggle. That's our first indication that not everything in the labyrinth is what it seems. Mm, kind of like adult life. Exactly. <laughs> Hoggle tells her if she's going to get to the center of this labyrinth, she has to stop taking things for granted. She's like, well, if that's all the help you're going to be, then you can just leave. Yeah. And he does let her walk in that thing by herself. Mm -hmm. He's like, bye bye Everything in this labyrinth is covered in glitter. I didn't notice. Yeah, no. How do you not notice? I guess I didn't notice. Everything is sparkling. And Gavin had never seen this. And he's watching it with me. And he sees that everything is covered in glitter. And he's like, oh, David Bowie went that way. Yeah. <laughs> Follow the glitter. Follow the glitter trail. Some really cool effects going on here. She's running down the length of this corridor, waiting for there to be a turn or a corner, somewhere where she can, you know, advance in progress. Uh -huh. And it's just one long, narrow corridor. And she's getting really frustrated. And she throws herself down in a teenage tantrum. She's just like, oh, it's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> Ding. Ding. She said it again. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where we meet the worm. Hello. Did you say hello? No, I said hello, but that's close enough. You're a worm, aren't you? Yeah, right. You don't by any chance know the way through this labyrinth, do you? Oh, me? No, I'm just a worm. This is the optical illusion with the wall. Yes, I love it. Because Sarah's like, there's no turns, there's no corners. How am I supposed to solve this thing? And the worm's like, oh, no, there's corners. You're just not <laughs> looking right. <laughs> He goes, there's one, there's an opening right there in front of you. And she steps up to this wall and she goes and it looks like she's going to touch the wall and her hands just go right through it. Yeah. They did this stuff. They did this in dead silence too. Remember where you thought there wasn't going to be, where you thought there was going to be a wall and then it's just an opening. Yeah. <laughs> Gavin's like, that's BS. Yeah. I don't like that at all. There's a lot of camera work that's based entirely on perspective. Like, there's sculptures and hidden faces throughout this movie that, based on the camera angle, when the camera's perfectly positioned, you can see a face in rock formations, in walls, all sorts of things like that. You just got to be willing to look for it. So she has two choices once she gets through this opening. She can go right or left. And she opts to go left. She's like, okay, I'm going to go this way. Hey, hang on! Thank you. That was incredibly helpful. But don't go that way. What was that? I said, don't go that way. Never go that way. Oh, thanks. If she'd have kept on going down that way, she'd have gone straight to that castle. So it's been about four hours, relatively. Mm -hmm. she's, got, she's got nine hours or so left to solve this labyrinth. Originally, like I said at the top, originally they weren't going to include 
scenes at the center of the labyrinth throughout the movie. They had to, though. That was one of Terry Jones's major objections to the new drafts of the script, was that we saw the center of the labyrinth, the Goblin King's castle. We saw it before Sarah actually got there. But I agree with you. It, the Bowie factor made them necessary. I wrote great puppets, and then I said, 80s fantasy is weird. <laughs> because now we've arrived at Magic Dance. You remember me as a babe. Babe with the power. Power of voodoo. You do. Remind me as a babe. <laughs> a goblin babe. sequence always reminds me of Maleficent and the goons. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and this scene is just all about Bowie doing his Bowie thing. He looks like he has a squirrel shoved down the front of his trousers. We can see your penis, sir. <laughs> that I wrote that in all caps. <laughs> we can see your package. Like, it's not subtle. <laughs> and also, we learn, I think, you know, yeah, he's the Goblin King and all that good stuff, but he needs their validation. He does. Because he's always telling them to laugh at the things he says. Well, laugh. Well, laugh. <laughs> I love it. And then he still doesn't smile because he, know he knows it's not genuine. <laughs> I have some numbers. Oh, dear. 48 puppets were involved in this dance magic dance scene. Mm -hmm. 52 puppeteers. And there's at least eight people running around in goblin costumes. Uh -huh. And also, okay, we all love this song. Mm -hmm. Let's listen to a little bit of it. Yes, please. Talk about a childhood bop. Right? And like, I love like during the song, it keeps cutting to Sarah in the labyrinth because she can, she can hear her little brother crying. I know. But she also hears the music uh -huh. and she's like, where to party at? <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. And you know what? We're, we're picking on her a lot for saying that all the time. It's really not fair. This is the beginning of us understanding that the labyrinth can change itself at will. So how on earth is she supposed to solve this thing? Exactly. This is where we arrive at the doors. I call them door dudes. <laughs> I think they're denoted as door guardians. I, I, I wrote the door dudes can fuck off. <laughs> I don't like the way they look. <laughs> They look shifty. There's a red guardian and a blue guardian, and they're both standing in front of a door. Well, the only way out of here is to try one of these doors. One of them leads to the castle at the center of the labyrinth, and the other one leads to... Boom, 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 boom. Certain death. Ooh. Which one is which? No, you can't ask us. Mm. You can only ask one of us. Mm -hmm. It's in the rules. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth and one of us always lies. This is actually a very old riddle. Like, and, ev and every time someone tries to explain to me how you find the solution to this riddle, it, it never makes sense to me. And the way she goes about this is, is she approaches the red guard. She points at the blue guard and says, would he tell me that this door leads to the castle? And the red guard says, yes. Then... The other door leads to the castle, and this door leads to certain death. Oh. How do you know? He could be telling the truth. 
But then you wouldn't be. So if you told me that he said yes, I know the answer is no. But I'd come telling the truth. But then he would be lying. So if you told me that he said yes, I know the answer would uh. still be no. I think I'm getting smarter. This is a piece of cake. Also, okay, the hands. Yes. The hands can absolutely fuck off. So what happens is she falls through this opening and it's just this shaft. It's like a rabbit hole effect. Yeah, and it's populated by all of these helping hands that are just catching her as she falls down. You've seen the Simpsons movie. You know when he has the epiphany. Yeah. <laughs> all of the hands that are holding him up. <laughs> which way do you want to go? Hmm? Yes, which way? Well, since I'm pointed that way, I guess I'll go down. She chose down. She chose down. Was that wrong? Do it now. I wrote down. What the fuck? <laughs> Stupid ass. Down is always bad. Oh my god. I learned a new word from this. Oubliette. I'm putting my one semester of French to work here. Mm -hmm. It's from French, from the word oublier, which means to forget. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. Because they say an oubliette is a place where you put someone to forget about them. I have an oubliette. <laughs> you do? Do you have one too? I do. <laughs> in, the, in the recesses of my brain. I definitely have an oubliette. It's a dungeon where there's no other doors or windows except a trap door in the ceiling. That's the only way in or out. Guess who's in the fucking oubliette with her? Hoggle! Why is Hoggle in there? He is inexplicably down there with her, and that should have been her first question. You will see this trend with Hoggle throughout the entire film. He's, it's deus his Hoggle. <laughs> Hoggle just, just magically appearing every time he's needed. Hoggle offers to help her find a way out of the oubliette. And and all of the sudden, there's a door that wasn't there before. No, he literally picks up driftwood, puts it on the wall, yeah. opens it up, and it's a broom closet. And he's <laughs> like, oh, damn. And then he puts it back up, opens the other side of it, and it's a way out. I love that as they're walking down the corridor, all of these stone faces. I said, fuck them talking walls. <laughs> <laughs> there's all these stone faces embedded in the walls, and they're like, Forget it. Oh, please. I haven't said it for such a long time. Oh, all right. But don't expect a big reaction. No, 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 of course not. <clears throat> for the path you will take will lead to sudden destruction. Thank you very much. Uh -oh. And that's when I wrote down, is this a parody? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> like... This is where they encounter Jareth in the labyrinth. Yes. Because they're in this long tunnel looking thing. Yeah. And you see what looks like a goblin. One of them sly lone shark goblins. <laughs> yeah. That's smoking on a street corner, flipping a penny. <laughs> <laughs> Going, I heard you need some assistance, you know. Right. But it's Jareth in disguise. Sarah, of course, starts complaining about how unfair the labyrinth is. It's just not fair. It's just not fair. Drink. It's not fair. You say that so often. I wonder what your basis for comparison is. Also, she still helped him because Jarrah's like, are you helping this girl, Hoggle? And he's like, no, I was taking her the wrong. I was taking her back to the beginning, not to the city. Just like you told me. Yeah. And she's like, um, what? <laughs> Excuse me? And so, you know, he takes that crystal, he throws it down the tunnel, and oh no, 
there's a horrible death contraption coming at them at full speed. It's called the cleaner. Hoggle goes, oh no, the cleaners! Yes. Run! And now it's like an Indiana Jones scene. Because the cleaner's coming down the tunnel. It's got all of these metal spikes that are rotating. To rip up the cobwebs. Yeah. And they gotta get the hell out of Dodge. So they just start running down the tunnel. And eventually they come to a dead end. And yes. it's a bad situation. So they just start pressing on this obviously fake wall yes. that's going to give way any moment. But of course, it's the last moment. And you could, I love how when the cleaner rolls by, you can see the four or five goblins that are cranking things and going up and down <laughs> on the bottom of it. I hope they have a union. The goblins? <laughs> I hope they have a workers union because that's a lot of tunnel probably. And once all the danger is over... Because, like, they get into that space and there's a a, there's a magic ladder right there. He, he literally turns and he's like, Escape! <laughs> <laughs> they are going up the ladder and Hoggle's like, Listen. See, you've got to understand my position. I'm a coward and Jerith scares me. What kind of position is that? No position. That's my point. And you wouldn't be so brave if you'd ever smelt the bog of eternal stench. So we learn that Hoggle is afraid of the bog of eternal stench. Yes, because that's where Jareth's always threatening to send him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, the bog of eternal stench is a horrible place in the labyrinth where if you just touch the bog water, you are going to stink to high heaven for the rest of your life. I have a confession to make. What? what? I know the bog of eternal stench all too well. <laughs> You've been there? I've lived there. <laughs> if you know, you know. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to my topiary garden. Right? <laughs> so the top of the ladder is a giant urn. They just crawl out of a giant urn. And I love how there's no, the urn doesn't even extend all the way to the ground. It's like they crawled out of Mary Poppins carpet bag. Yeah, yeah. It, we cut to this wide shot of them moving through this hedge maze, right? Mm-hmm. I wrote, Hoggle's a piss ant. Oh, because he abandons her. Because they hear this horrible roaring sound. Ugh, goodbye! Wait a minute! Keep the stuff! Are you my friend or not? No, no, I'm not! Hoggle ain't no one's friend! He looks after himself, like everyone! Yeah, Hoggle is Hoggle's friend! Hoggle? You coward! <laughs> Ludo. This is where we meet Ludo. So like you said, Hoggle's a coward, so he he pisses off. Because the goblins have got this creature tied up in a clearing. Suspended from this archway. And they've got little fish nibblers on the end of Listen, sticks nibbling at this thing. That's one of the big nopes for me. Yeah, I don't care for the way those things look. These things that look like goblin fetuses are on the ends of these sticks and they're using it so that the goblin fetuses will like bite this poor creature. Ludo, what what would you compare Ludo? If you could compare Ludo to an animal that's real, what would you compare him to? It's not real though. I know. Minotaur. A minotaur? But that's not real. I think he looks like an orangutan with horns. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, he's huge and he's orange and he's furry and he's very loud and scary. Sarah starts throwing rocks at the goblins and and they work themselves into a tizzy and run off. Uh Uh-huh. She helps Ludo down. Ludo, are you hurt? Ludo? That's right, Ludo. I'm Sarah. 
Guess what? We come to more doors. Oh, yeah. We're at another riddle. Well, barely a riddle even. So there's one. The door on the left has a huge knocker and the rings going through this thing's ears. Mm -hmm. But on the door on the right, it has a huge knocker, but it's stuck in this thing's mouth. It's very rude to stare. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just wondering which door to choose. What? There's no good after him. Don't talk with your mouth full. Wait a second, I, I can't understand you. Another Jim Henson film with enchanted door knockers. And she's trying to talk to the left one. It keeps going, what? <laughs> what? Because the rings are in its ears. Because <laughs> she takes that ring out of the right door's mouth and he's like, oh, thank God. You have no idea how long I've been waiting to get that out of my mouth. So I can't remember how she decides which door to go through. She goes through the one with the mouth. Right. Because the one on the left can't hear a thing she's fucking saying. Okay. They enter this enchanted forest. Like, all of the walls of the labyrinth have kind of fallen away, and now we're just in this enchanted forest. <laughs> and then, almost as soon as we found him, Ludo's gone again. Imagine a big thing like you being scared. Yeah. See, Ludo? There's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> Ludo? Ludo? And then behind her, Ludo just falls through a hole. He's gone. So Ludo's gone. We don't know what happened to him, okay? Elsewhere, Hoggle's in the labyrinth. He's just trying to get back out, and Jareth confronts him again. I was about to lead her back to the beginning, like you told me. <laughs> I see. Ludo? For one moment, I thought you were running to help her. Not after my warnings, that would be stupid. Oh, you bet it would. Me, help her. After your warnings. <laughs> and this is where Jareth introduces his insurance policy. He throws Hoggle that clear crystal. Mm -hmm. When it lands in his hand, it's a peach. I've got a much better plan, Hoggle. Give her this. Uh, what, what is it? It's a present. It ain't gonna hurt the little lady, is it? Oh, now why the concern? Uh, I won't do nothing to harm her. Oh, come, 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 Hogbrain. Hoggle's terrified of Jareth. He's gonna do what he says. Yeah. Even if he does feel bad about hurting Sarah in the process. Because little do he know, that peach, it poisoned. Mm-hmm. Now we've come to my least favorite part, and I believe your least favorite part also. Because now Sarah's alone in the forest, no big Ludo to protect her. And she encounters <laughs> these creatures. I am shaking my head, folks. <laughs> she encounters these creatures known as the Fireys, or the Fire Gang. Or, nope! <laughs> Ross, would you like to describe the Fireys to us? Um, imagine if Big Bird... Had a decade stint on crack <laughs> and then propagated with animal from Muppets. Mm -hmm. You're right. If Big Bird did a 10 year stint on crack and then propagated with animal, that would be their love child. And they can remove their heads with ease. Yeah. And, and they just they just juggle them around and they 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 laugh. What's going on? Yeah! <laughs> 
jumping around. There's this nonsense song playing in the background while they dance around Sarah. was actually originally shot against a black velvet backdrop and that was to conceal the puppeteers who are wearing all black because there's lots of animated puppeteering going on there's fiery arms flailing the fireys are taking off their heads and they're passing them back and forth like it's a game mm. it's truly horrifying nightmare fuel yeah it's not pleasant to experience and then they replace the back velvet background with a background of the forest. It doesn't look good at all, even by 80s standards. Doesn't translate well. It's the scene that Henson said he was the most dissatisfied with at the end of Post, but the puppeteering was so good that he left the scene in. Yeah. When that one fiery takes his fingers and pokes both of his eyeballs out, I screamed. I'm almost 30 and I screamed. I was like, no! And then, and then, Mm. they start trying to pop Sarah's head off. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with her head? It don't come off. She's like, of course it doesn't, you crazy people. (sighs) Can we move on? She tears all of their heads off so that they can't chase her. This is where Hoggle, again, deus ex Hoggle, Hoggle comes back into the picture. And he gives her, like, a rope to climb up and they're safe. Mm Mm-hmm. This is where they stumble into the bog of eternal stench. There it is, folks. Yep, Ross's homeland. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Remember, if you so much as touch the water in the bog of eternal stench. Tainted forever. Tainted forever. Epa, epa, crab forever. (laughs) Why did I write down, Hoggle is probably orchestrating all of this. Right? (laughs) Like he sent the fireys after her or something. But he also saves her. And that's where Sarah's like, you saved me. You like me. You like Krabby Patties, don't you, Squidward? I know you came back to help me, and I know that you're my friend. Did not. Am not. Ludo! Where's Hoggle? And this is where we meet the last character we're going to meet. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so here's a fox riding a dog. (laughs) Yeah, the dog that looks just like Merlin. Merlin. It's Merlin. Again, another thing from her life that's incorporated into this fever dream. Mm -hmm. Like you said, Sir Didymus is an anthropomorphic fox. He's kind of like Puss in Boots. He has a huge sense of honor and he loves to sword fight and... Stop, I say! Oh, please! Mm-hmm. We have to get across. Without my permission, no one may cross. Please, I only have a little time left. <sighs> We've got to get out of this stench. Smell bad. Stench? Of what speakest thou? The smell. <laughs> I smell nothing. He's guarding a bridge 
that crosses the bog. And they're like, and he's like, you shall not pass. Mm-hmm. He and Ludo engage in uh, a duel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know Ludo, he's like ten times the size of Sir Didymus. I'm sure Ludo takes poops the size of Didymus. <laughs> Ludo duels Didymus for the privilege of being able to cross the bridge. Mm -hmm. And of course, Ludo's so much bigger and he wins the duel and Didymus is like, I have sworn with my lifeblood, no one shall pass this way without my permission. Well, may we have your permission? Well, I, uh, um, yes. Thank you, noble sir. My lady. So Sarah crosses the bridge first. And of course, it's one of them rickety rope bridges. I'm just like, Didymus, can you cross the bridge? <laughs> I didn't think it would support his weight. <laughs> yeah, like. She starts to cross the bridge. Of, and it goes poorly. Of course. <laughs> uh -oh. I have no fear, sweet lady. This bridge has lasted for a thousand years. <laughs> Halfway across, the whole thing disintegrates from underneath her. <laughs> Shrek, I'm looking down. Exactly. <laughs> she grabs a tree branch and holds on for dear life, suspended over the bog. She's going to smell forever if she falls in there. Yeah, you don't want that. And this is where we learn that Ludo is an earthbender. I am Ludo. I speak for the rocks. <laughs> And, and you know what? He starts letting out that noise. And you know the rocks come to fucking life. They do. And they raise up out of the bog so that they can safely cross. Why didn't they do that before? I don't know. Probably because Ludo hadn't been prompted to do it. <laughs> this is where Didymus calls his noble steed. Sir Ludo, wait for me. Oh, Ambrosius. It's all right, Ambrosius. You can cover out now. Come on. Atta boy, my loyal steed. Ambrosius. Not Merlin. Ambrosius. Because Merlin and Ambrosius are played by the same sheepdog. The dog neighs like a horse. <laughs> I love it. He whinnies like a horse because he's Didymus' noble steed. After they cross the bog, Hoggle knows that he's got to give this peach to Sarah. Would you like to try my problematic peach? Exactly. He doesn't know what's going to happen to her, but he gives it to her. Hoggle. She bites into it and she's like, mmm, tastes like chloroform. <laughs> yeah. This tastes strange. Oh. Uncle, what have you done? Oh, damn you, Jared. And damn me, too. But the point of the peach is when she bites into it, all of a sudden, she starts to forget why she's in the labyrinth. Hoggle's ashamed of what he's done, and he just pitters away with his, I don't know if he has a tail, but with his tail between his he's legs. He's a little pissant. Like, and just leaves her there. Sarah lapses into this trance where she's imagining herself at this masquerade ball in this fabulous gown, by the way. Yes, absolutely. I love that gown. The detailing on it, the big 80s shoulders. 
I love the way her hair is teased and pulled back with the sparkly bits in her hair. Oh, she just looks amazing. But, you know, as we have learned from many old stories and countless musicals, nothing good happens at a masquerade. Yeah, you are absolutely right. <laughs> Everyone is in masks and she keeps seeing Jareth from across the room, right? Yeah. Like people will swirl in front of him and then he'll be gone. And the 80s rock ballads are back. Yep. <laughs> it's called As the World Falls Down. Another track that he wrote for the movie mm -hmm. as the thing sweeps through makes no sense for you everything that's gone wasn't too much but oh but I'll be there for you as the world falls down like this weird game of cat and mouse because she's strangely drawn to him mm -hmm. you know she keeps trying to get to him from across the room and then he'll disappear and then he'll appear again behind her she almost doesn't really seem to understand the danger she might be in mm -hmm. and it's that peach man it'll get you the whole scene has got very predatory overtones and this is where you start to remember that he's 39 and she's 16 and it's like but the reason that it doesn't creep me out as much is because I don't believe Jareth's real at all. I believe it's all a figment of her imagination. And so it just, it's less creepy. So you can look at it both ways. You could look at it through a very creepy predatory lens, or you could look at it through the lens of he's a figment, he's a manifestation of her fading childhood. Finally, Sarah starts to snap out of it because she's seeing images of the clock swirl by. Uh-huh. She's remembering, oh shit, I'm on a timer. And she comes up to this fake wall and she grabs a chair and she throws it through the wall and everything shatters like glass. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool thing. The whole scene falls down around her and all of a sudden we're in a junkyard. We're in Avery's auto salvage. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and Mama Avery is comes out. The little junk lady. The junk lady. Yeah. <laughs> Again, instead of cars, it's all junk from the party. Of course, yes. And she's lying on top of this pile of junk and it just starts moving. Uh-huh. She's on top of this lady who has all this junk from the junkyard strapped to her back. Yes. Why don't you look where you're going, young woman? Hmm? I was looking. Huh? Huh? Yes. And where were you going? Hmm? I don't remember. You can't look where you're going if you don't know where you're going. I'm searching for something. Well, look here. She takes her down through this hole, and all of a sudden we're in Sarah's bedroom again. Sarah thinks she's home. And, like, the junk lady is trying to push all of her toys on her. Like, oh, don't you miss these things? Don't you like these things? And Sarah's sitting at the vanity, and she's looking in the mirror, and she's like, there's something I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> she has no idea. Wait a minute. Huh? What's the matter, my dear? Don't you like your toys? It's all junk. Huh? Eh, well, what about this? This is not junk. Uh? Yes, it is. The walls fall down around her again, and Didymus and Ludo are in a hole in the wall, and they're like, Quick, Sarah, come with us! Mm -hmm. Come with us! They take her up through the hole, 
And we're at the castle gates. We're in the Goblin City. Yes. Yes. They move through the first vestibule. They're about to go through the big gate and the doors to the big gate just slowly start to close. Mm -hmm. And as they come together, you can see that they're forming two halves of a giant metal man. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. He's gonna be, you guessed it, a problem. (laughs) Giant metal man. Very small creatures. Yes. Da-da-da-da, we have another deus ex Hoggle. Yeah, quit letting Hoggle fuck shit up. Hoggle appears on top of the archway, and he jumps down on top of the giant metal man, and he ejects the pilot from the metal man. Get out of there! This turned into an episode of Gundam very fast. <laughs> Because now there's giant robots. He manages to manipulate the giant metal man so that he'll axe himself in the face. Oh, boy. Completely rendering him inoperable. Mm -hmm. And this is where Hoggle levels with Sarah. He's like, I don't care what you think of me. I told you I was a coward and I ain't interested in being friends. I forgive you, Hoggle. You do? And I commend you. Rarely have I seen such courage. You are a valiant man, Sir Hoggle. I am. Hoggle and Ludo friends. It's all very nice. Yeah. But now they've got a goblin army to deal with. It cuts to the Goblin King's throne room, and that one goblin is running in like, Troll in the dungeon! Yes. The girl! What? The girl who ate the pizza forgot everything! What of her? She's here with the monster and Sir Didymus and the dwarf who works for you. What? They've got through the gates and they're on their way to the castle. Stop her. Call out the guard. Take the baby and hide it. She must be stopped. Do something. They all get armored up and they meet in the center of the goblin village. Mm -hmm. And this whole chaotic scene gets rolling. I love that they steal away into this house and Hoggle's like, well, how's Ludo gonna get in? Right. Ludo opens the front of that house (laughs) like a door. The whole wall. The whole front side of the house. He just tears it off and goes inside. And then he gets all the way to the top of this house, calls the rocks, calls on the many stray boulders that are just sitting around the goblin city uh, to attack the goblin uh, populace. How do they get into the castle? They get into the castle because there's lots of chaos happening. The rocks are like pancaking all of the goblins in the streets of the city and the goblins aren't very smart to begin with so if you move fast enough you can hoodwink them pretty easily. You could say rock isn't a commodity in goblin city. So now we're actually in the castle and we're in the throne room which is empty everybody's like we gotta find Jareth we gotta find Jareth <laughs> and this is something I've never understood that's the only way it could have gone well then come uh, on. no no I have to face him alone but why yes because that's the way it's done well if that is the way it is done then that is the way you must do it her and her fairy tales she knows that the hero always faces the villain alone. But we have officially arrived at my favorite part of the movie. The part of the movie that I watch this scene over and over again. I love it so much. 
One of the things that was in Sarah's room at the beginning is crazy stairs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the M.C. Escher painting of all of the different staircases that are winding and twisting together. This is also my favorite song in the movie. Oh. Because Magic Dance is obviously the most iconic, but Within You, I just love it. It's a great track for the confrontation. She walks to the edge of one of these staircases and looks over the side and Bowie's there. Yeah. He's upside down staring into her eyes. How you turn my world, you precious thing. You starve and near exhaust me. Everything I've done, I've done for you I move the stars for no one The way he's so dramatic, the way he's like I move the stars for no one And then he just <laughs> falls off the edge Yeah But it's very controlled I'm pretty sure all of that's done with harness and wires Probably yeah. It's probably very difficult. But he is a master of this environment. When he steps off an edge, his orientation just yeah. corrects itself. Yeah, it All just, of a sudden he's like horizontal or just upside adapts. down. Yeah. But like just I just I don't know what it is about that line in particular. It makes my little teenage heart flutter. Uh -huh. The look on his face, he's just I move the stars for no one. Except for you. Yuck. Oh, I know. Yuck. Again, depending on what lens you're looking at this through, it can be either creepy or it could be, I think it could also be a passionate plea to Sarah. Like, if you're looking at this from the perspective of he's a manifestation of her childhood, the reason he's trying to keep her here is so that she won't grow up, so that he will not cease to exist. From mm -hmm. so long, from so far. But she can see Toby. He's like playing on the stairs with the little glass crystal. Mm -hmm. Do you like the shot where he obviously dropped the crystal down the stairs? Yes. But then they reversed the shot so it would climb back up into his hand. Mm -hmm. I love that. But it's it's MCS's stairs. She's never going to get to him. Exactly. You know, she finally stumbles through this doorway and now we're out on a platform. Bowie appears. This is the third costume change for Bowie, by yeah. the way, by this point. Now he's in a billowy thing with like a teal vest on. Jareth's telling her, I've been very generous up until this point. She's like, generous? The hell you say? She's like, where have you been? You asked that the child be taken. I took him. You cowered before me. I was frightening. I have reordered time. I have turned the world upside down. And I have done it all for you. He's telling her, just let me rule you, obey me, fear me, love me, and you can have anything you want. Remember at the beginning, she was play acting this same confrontation mm -hmm. and she could not remember that one line. Damn, you never remember that line. Just fear me, love me, do as I say, and I will be your slave. Why do you keep doing 
You have no power over me. This confrontation was supposed to end a very different way. Don't eat the plant. Don't feed the plant. Yeah. What? Oh, Little Shop of Horrors. Don't feed the plant. Yeah. No, it was no, supposed no. to end with the plant taking over the world. Yeah. This was actually supposed to end with her kicking him in the crotch and like him devolving into this gross goblin looking thing, like his true form. Oh. Can you imagine what an undercut that would have been if that had been how it ended? So she kicks the other goblins in the dick? Do they turn into really pretty people? I guess. <laughs> you think that's how it would work? I think that maybe that's just the spot. <laughs> the on and off switch. That's the transformation. <laughs> she stands up. She says, you have no power over me. And Jareth just throws that crystal in the air. Everything just dematerializes. The clock is chiming in the background and all of a sudden, we're standing in the foyer of Sarah's home. Mm-hmm. Everything's gone. Everything's back to normal. Status quo, antebellum. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she runs upstairs. Toby's in his crib. Mm-hmm. She picks that bear up and puts it in the crib with him and says, You can have Lancelot now. I would like you to have him. If she hadn't have gotten so worked up about this fucking bear. <laughs> yeah. None of this shit would have happened. And now she's going to give it to him. And now she magically loves the baby. (laughs) I think she realizes that That she has to now because she went through all of that. Yeah. I think she realizes that life is not that hard for me. And this kid is definitely not the source of all of my woes. She's not going to blame the baby for all of her problems. Exactly. She's going to try and be a little more grown up. We even see her sort of putting her toys away, like putting things in desk drawers, Mm -hmm. out of sight, out of mind. And I love this. I love this. I might cry. I just might. And everybody pops back out. Yeah, because she looks up into the mirror, but... Well, she sees, like, Hoggle and Didymus and Ludo. Yeah. I don't know why, but every now and again in my life, for no reason at all, I need you. All of you. Oh, you do? Well, why didn't you say so? And she turns around from the mirror and they're all right there in her room. Mm -hmm. Because they're still there in her imagination. imagination. It's such a great moment because they say to her, if you ever need us, will be right here. That's something I think about a lot because when we're adults and we're sad, and this is also part of why I feel like we do this podcast, because when you're a sad adult, it perks you up to remember the things that made you happy when you were a child. Mm -hmm. It fills you with this zeal that makes you feel like you can keep going. And I feel like that's why we do this podcast, so that we can revisit things we loved And use them to inform on our future. I do it mostly for the clout. You do? All this clout. (laughs) I'm kidding. All this clout that we're enjoying. I'm kidding. (laughs) You're right. I agree. And then the movie just ends with a big dance party Mm -hmm. in her bedroom with Hoggle and Ludo and Didymus and the dog. Other than being traumatizing. (laughs) What does this movie mean to you? Bowie! Yeah? (laughs) No, we we love Bowie. We do love Bowie. A very big Bowie fan. 
And I just think you watch this movie for David Bowie. I agree. I, I, I literally think that there are people out there who play this movie and fast forward through to all of the Bowie bits and just watch the Bowie bits. The thing that really holds this movie together is David Bowie. Mm -hmm. Whether it's his acting, whether it's his music, his presence in this project is what makes it. That's why I don't believe this is a movie that would ever stand up to being remade. Who on God's green earth would you get to portray the Goblin King? Yeah. Or Queen, I suppose. And you know, David Bowie is notorious for performing in several different personas. And after Labyrinth, he added Jareth to the mix. He toured as Jareth. Isn't that great? He, uh, Jareth would be a costume in his shows that he would use. Like Bette Midler yeah. and uh, the Sanderson sisters. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you think of the 80s. You think of Labyrinth. And Allie, I know that's why you chose this movie, because you're obsessed with the 80s, as am I. So I think that it was a good choice. Thank you, Allie, very much for giving us this opportunity to cover Labyrinth uh, for, the, for the first episode of the new year. I think it was a very good opener, and we're glad you got picked, and we're glad you picked what you did. <laughs> Again, I'm so happy we didn't have to do Christian Mingle the movie. Thank you. Thank you Thank you so much. That's okay. <laughs> Maybe eventually. I almost kind of want to watch it now out of morbid curiosity. I don't. I don't need to see it. I'll just, I'll, I'll live tweet it and you can watch the devolvement, my, you can watch my devolvement. Sure. Guess what? Mm. We're coming up on February. February? <laughs> the month you'd rather skip, but you know what February means. Yeah. We're gonna do some rom-coms. And you're so disappointed. I'm there. brimming with joy. We've made a list. Yes, we have. And we decided that for our first rom-com of the year, we're going to do Sleepless in Seattle. Our mother loves Sleepless in Seattle. I don't know why. I cannot tell you because I haven't seen it. Oh, really? I mean, I've seen it in bits and pieces. I know what kind of happens. I watched it as a teenager and I got ticked off at the end for reasons that we'll get to next week. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, you can go to Twitter, follow us at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N. S-T-R-E-A-M. Exactly. You can also write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Don't put the ampersand in there. Yeah, it's don't. spelled out and. Absolutely. That's my fault. Because <laughs> I set the Gmail up. <laughs> so stay tuned next week when we cover Sleepless in Seattle. Get ready, Mom. You're going to love it. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, Mom. Mom. Got the news, got the news, got the news.